if you have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Peter um, chapter 1. You can shut that music down when you get a chance. And uh, it's nice to have some background music, though. It's a little bit more theatrical. Um, you can turn to 2 Peter, and I just have a couple of quick announcements for us today. Um, number one, I told you last week, um, our park ministry um, has been... Uh, just thriving and doing really well. Uh, if you're new here, you don't know what Parked is. It's our ministry for moms of young kids. Uh, we've had so much uh, just grace be poured out in that ministry, and I wish I could share all of it with you. Um, but suffice it to say, the Lord's really uh, moved there and is continuing to move, and we're just maxed out where we're at, and so we're looking to start a, uh, a Parked on base. And um, we've done a few soft runs of that and gathered, I think, 15 or 16 moms and all their kids the, uh, the, first time, the first week. And then this last week, I think there was 19 or 20 moms and their kids. And we're just trying to get our feelers out there and, uh, and, and see what things will be like and see what the needs are. And uh, there certainly are a lot of needs. And so we're going to just pursue that. And as we move into September, we're going to continue to put plans together for that and uh, and uh, look for a strong launch in September for Parked on Base. And so I just want to make those needs known. And there are a lot of needs, uh, not just for the women that and, and families we're seeking to serve, but also to make all of that possible. We really need uh, helpers to serve the moms and watch the kids on base Thursday mornings or Tuesday mornings for the regular Parked ministry. Um, and uh, that's probably the main need right now. There's a few others, but just leave it at that for now. So if you're not serving anywhere, um, and if you are a gal, we would just love to have you jump into that and, and support uh, the parked ministries and, and all that the Lord is doing there. We're really thankful for that, and we just want to see the, the fruit and the growth and the grace continue. And to do so, we need faithful members uh, to come alongside the leadership in that ministry, Laura and the other helpers, and just kind of buttress what God is doing there. So I uh, would ask you to consider that. A um, couple more things. The Gals Book Club uh, is going to be meeting here at the Orchard this coming Thursday. Um, uh, what's the book called? What's a Girl Worth? I read it, so I should know. Um, really good story. Um, I'd recommend that uh, you pick it up. It's on Audible. There's also a documentary on Netflix. It's not based on the book, but it kind of just uh, gives you an overview of the story. And uh, so uh, I would recommend at least watching that. Um, it's a sad story, but ultimately a story of redemption and uh, justice uh, and grace and God working through the lives of one gal in particular, but a lot of gals. And so uh, anyways, uh, look into that. And the gals are meeting here, I think, 7 o'clock on Thursday. Uh, there's more details for that at the, uh, at the welcome table. And then lastly, um, I just want to remind you that we have one-on-one -on -one discipleship. So we have a bunch of guys involved in that right now. We have members of the church who disciple people who are newer to the church and uh, for gals as well. We have a lot of gals involved in that too. And so if you'd like to be discipled, we would encourage you to do so. We work through a discipleship manual. You can sign up for that at the welcome table. We'll get you paired up with somebody and uh, just a good fruitful time of learning God's word, but also growing in relationship with another brother or sister uh, with one-on-one -on -one quality time. So I'd recommend that you do that. So first Peter chapter one, um, your outline there, on your outline, you'll notice it says uh, we're going to try to cover through verse 21. That's probably not going to happen, um, but it was, uh, it, was a, it was an attempt, so a um, little too much content in there for me. Um, but we'll get as far as we can. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump into what the Lord has for us today. Father God, we thank you for another chance to get together. We thank you for um, beautiful weather. We thank you that we have a location to gather at. We thank you, God, that uh, you've been gracious to us in, in all of these ways. 
Uh, thank you for what you're doing in our church, in the lives of our people. Uh, thank you for the fruit that we've seen. And I just pray, God, that you'd continue to uh, produce fruit among us, that you'd continue to uh, save people, that you'd continue to grow people, God, and that we, uh, as a result of hearing your word, uh, that it would it would get drilled deep into our heart, Lord, and that we would grow exponentially as we seek to know you and love you and worship you, God, purely and with all of our hearts. In your good name, amen. Uh-oh, we're back. It's, 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 like, it's like mixed between farm, zoo, and church here. So <laughs> you're just going to, uh, good luck with that. Um, it's one of those bugs you see on those pin boards when you're a kid, and you're like, look at that prehistoric bug. And someone's like, no, 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 that was like from the backyard. And it's those big green ones. You know what I'm talking about. My son picks those up off the ground. I mean, I'm like, what are you doing? I would never do that. He just whoop, he picks them right up, catches them out of the air sometimes. It's incredible, his dexterity. Um, anyway, Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, I want to start with a question. Have you ever had a major failure in life? Have you ever had a major failure in life? Just time where you blew it, where things didn't go the way you planned, where uh, you made a major mistake, there's a major shortcoming. Uh, maybe you didn't plan the right way. Maybe um, you did something bad and uh, ended up uh, reaping a um, negative result. Have you ever had a major failure in life? Some of you have heard this story. I, I uh, wrestled competitively for a long time and um, I, I, each week I had to cut a lot of weight and uh, to make weight. And I, I did make weight every week. There was one week, though, that um, I didn't make weight. And it was at one of the biggest tournaments of the year. And I was running most of the night in a sweatsuit trying to get the weight off. And then running most of the morning trying to get the weight off. Dehydrated, angry, depressed, um, just wanting to drink some water and get on the scale and have this be over with. And I got on the scale and I was three ounces overweight. And I just... That was it. That was the end. It was one of the biggest tournaments of the year, and I didn't get to wrestle in it. Ultimately, I didn't plan well enough. I didn't prepare well enough. I didn't start early enough. It was a major failure on my part. Have you ever had a failure? Maybe you've had a failure on the athletic field, in the athletic arena. Maybe you've had a failure that was of greater significance. I, I know I have. Maybe you've had a failure at work where you missed the deadline where you didn't start the project early enough, where you just didn't do the project right. Maybe you've had a failure at work where you uh, were, were not a helpful witness to your coworkers. And you realize you're speaking like everyone else in the office and not being salt and light. And you realize, man, that's convicting. That's a failure. I was a bad representative of Jesus. That happens. Maybe you've had a failure uh, in the classroom on an exam, on a class project, maybe in a relationship, you've made mistakes, maybe you've broken trust, maybe you haven't been faithful or steadfast as a friend or as a spouse or as a parent. Maybe you've had a failure in your relationship with the Lord and you realize there's times where man, I've just been faithless. I haven't I haven't pursued Jesus the way that I ought to have I haven't loved Jesus and obeyed him and, and, and sought him the way that I ought to. I think if we're honest, we all would say probably in all those categories, we can think of some times where we've blown it. It's good to admit these things. It's good to be honest about our failures. We know Jesus loves to forgive failures. We know that we all are deeply flawed people and our lives are filled with 
successes by God's grace, but also with lots of failures and mistakes. And the book that, that, that we're in right now in our series, First and Second Peter, is written by a man named Peter uh, who v- knew very much what it was like to fail. The apostle who's writing a book of the Bible to you and I, to the church, he himself knew what it was like to fail. Many of you know Peter's failures. He had many of them, actually, uh, but probably the most acutely painful one both for his Lord and friend Jesus, but also as he looked back for himself was on the night of Jesus's arrest. When all the the disciples scattered, Jesus was arrested. He was being carried off to be tried falsely and ultimately indicted of false charges and then taken to the cross to be executed. And and that night, the night of Jesus's greatest need, uh, all of his friends abandoned him. and, And his closest friend, Peter, his main leader, the main leader of the disciples, the one who Jesus would have relied on the most to be faithful, flat out denied Jesus, explicitly denied Jesus, his friend and his master, multiple times. Peter knew what it was like to fail. Peter also knew what it was like to be restored. And Peter also knew what it was like, in spite of his failures, to be called into ministry and to be used again, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew what it was like to be forgiven of failure. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus, the night of his arrest, he says this to Peter, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you. It's Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Right? Satan is after you. He wants to cut you down. He wants to destroy you, Jesus says. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. That was no surprise to him. He also knew that he would continue to use him even after his failure. And what he says here is prophetic. He says, look, in a few verses later, he, he lets Peter know, hey, you're going to deny me. You are going to fail. But, but after that's all over, after you get restored, when you turn again, I want you to turn and strengthen your brothers as one who has failed and has been forgiven. That's going to be your role from here on out. Strengthen your brothers. And as we open Second Peter... Peter pens this letter as he pens this letter. He is aware that time is short for him. He doesn't have much longer until he'll be executed as a martyr. Look with me at verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, I know that the putting off of my body, my, my tent, another way to translate that, his earthly body will, will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He knows that his time is short. He knows his life will be ended soon. And and in his last days and with his last energy, he pours himself out until the very end to do exactly what Jesus told him to do, to strengthen his brothers and sisters. Look with me at verse 12 of 2 Peter 1. Therefore, I always intend to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. That word established there is from the same word that Jesus used when he said, strengthen your brothers. That's exactly what Peter now is doing. 
After Jesus told him that, he devoted the rest of his life to strengthening his brothers and sisters, strengthening the church, and with his last hours and last days, he is continuing to be faithful in his calling. And one way he does this, one way he strengthens God's people is by reminding us of fundamental truths. He reminds us of fundamental truths. We looked at this a few weeks ago, the fact that sometimes the fundamental things, the most fundamental things, are the most important things. Verse 1 of 2 Peter, chapter 1. Peter says, To those who have obtained a faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he reminds God's people, his hearers and readers at this time, and us today, that we've received faith as a gift from God. That we haven't achieved faith, we haven't worked for it, we haven't merited it, we haven't done a lot of good things and cleaned our room and made the world a better place and caused God to look down on us and say, you've done a really good job and I'm going to let you into heaven now. That's not how we have obtained faith. That's not how we've obtained a right standing with God. God actually came down and all by grace, he actually gave us faith. The Bible says that faith is a gift and by faith we respond to what God has done in our heart. We've received faith as a gift Peter says. He reminds us of that fact. Verses 3 and 4, Peter reminds us that we've received all the resources that we need from God for life and for godliness and for growth, that God himself equips us with everything that we need to live faithfully as his people. Verses 5 through 8, Peter lists these basic characteristics of the Christian life. And he reminds us, pursue these things, grow in these things, take hold of these things. Now, some of you are new Christians. You haven't been a Christian very long, and you're just kind of growing in your faith. And you might say, look, none of these are reminders. That All that stuff is new, and that's, a, that's good. That's a good thing. <clears throat> Maybe you're just grasping these doctrines for the first time. Maybe you're just learning. Here's what the Christian life ought to look like. Hey, you're in good company. That's a good place to be. And 1 Peter and 2 Peter are actually really good places for you to continue to camp out and get grounded. Good books for you to dig into and learn the basics of the Christian life. So for some of you, this content is new. Some of you, I realize, also are are not Christians. Maybe you're unsure Maybe some of you even, even have a, a negative perception or a negative view of Christians and Christianity. And maybe that's because you've had a bad experience. Maybe you, you've known Christians in your life who haven't treated you well or who have harmed you or have spoken ill of you or haven't been faithful to you. They haven't represented Christ rightly. Maybe they've been hypocritical. Maybe they've been inconsistent. And you look at that and you're like, if that's what Christianity is, I want no part of it. Maybe you've just been personally hurt. Maybe you were involved in a church where you feel that you were hurt. Maybe your view of Christians and Christianity is shaped by Fox News. And you look at Fox News and a lot of the Christians that are on there and the way they talk about Christianity and religion and you think that's not very attractive. Well, I just want to say this. I'm glad you're here if that's the boat that you're in. And I want to say Christians can be hypocritical. And Christians can be inconsistent. And all Christians, while we're on the earth, we still have fallen and sinful flesh, and we are sinful. We are sinful. And we do sin. All human beings 
are deeply flawed, including Christians who have been renewed spiritually, but practically we're still waiting for Jesus to return. We're deeply flawed. But here's what I want you to know. The Bible is not deeply flawed. The Bible is not hypocritical. The Bible is not inconsistent. And I would just ask you to consider, I'd ask you to consider Jesus, friend, if you're a non-Christian, if you're kind of working through, what am I? Where are you? Maybe you're here because one of your friends dragged you here and you just want to make them happy. Well, I'm still glad you're here. But I'd love for you to consider Jesus not on the basis of a bad experience you've had, but on the basis of what scripture actually says about who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's exactly what we see here in 1 Peter. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of you are Christians, and for you, these are reminders. You understand that faith is a gift. You understand that you're to pursue virtue and, and, and love and brotherly affection. For you, these are reminders. But listen, we need reminders. We need reminders. Because if we're honest, we're very quick to forget. And if we're really honest, we're prone to wander. We're prone to wander, sometimes very far away. And so Peter reminds us. He reminds us. And here's the first reason he reminds us. He reminds us in order to strengthen our godliness. It's the first point for your outline. We don't have PowerPoints. So I'm going to try to be really clear about the points. Remembering strengthens our godliness. Remembering strengthens our godliness. Peter says, remember, you've been adopted into God's family. You've been equipped with the Father's resources for all that you need for life and godliness. And now, as his kids, look back with me at verse 5. This is what he says. For this reason, make every effort, be diligent, put all of your energy into it to supplement your faith, the faith that you've received as a gift. Supplement that with virtue. Right? That's godliness. That's excellence in moral conduct. That's what we do, the actions that we do in life. Does it look like Christ or does it look like the world? Peter says, pursue virtue, pursue knowledge. Right? Supplement your faith with knowledge, knowledge of God, who God is, right? what God has done, what God has done in Christ, who we are, who we are apart from Jesus, who we are in Jesus. We need to pursue knowledge. We need to know what scripture says. We need to know who God is and what God is like. Self-control. Right? Not just thinking however we want. Not just saying whatever we feel. Not just buying whatever looks nice. Not just going wherever looks fun. We need to practice self-control. Godliness, brotherly affection, love, all these basic qualities and characteristics of the Christian life. Peter says, as God's kids seek now to grow, make every effort to grow in all of these. Verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter says, remembering and pursuing what God has called us to, okay, keeping it up front, keeping it in the windshield, right, keeping it relevant, rem- gosh, <laughs> oh, there's the, there's the jungle part, all right, <laughs> keeping it up front, right, what God has called us to. What that does for us is it keeps us on track. 
Let me say that again. Remembering what God has called us to keeps us on track. Sometimes we think like, I've read my Bible. Like, I know what God has called me to. Cool, I'm good. I'm good to go, right? I can just move on with life now. And Peter says, no, no, no. We must continue to be reminded of what God has called us to. It keeps us on track in life. It keeps our life clear. It gives us a grid for making decisions. It gives us a grid for how to think. It gives us a grid for what to do, right? It becomes our compass. Understanding what God has called us to in scripture keeps us on track in life. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us growing. Let me give you a, a big, a major truth that I want you to tuck away and remember. The Christian life, in the Christian life, there is only growth and decline. There is no neutral. There is no neutral in the Christian life. The Christian life is a battle against sin, against flesh, against the enemy, against apathy. It's a battle to pursue God and be faithful to Jesus. And there is no neutral. Sometimes we think like, I became a Christian a long time ago and I've been flatlined for about 25 years and you know I've just kind of been in the same spot. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as that. We're either growing or we're declining. And Peter says, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. Peter wants growth and good for us, for his readers, for all of God's people. Verse 9. Peter says this, whoever lacks these qualities, these basic Christian characteristics, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And Peter gives us a blunt exhortation. And here's what he says. If you're living in a way that's inconsistent with what God calls you to, Peter's saying it's like you've forgotten. It's like you've forgotten. Have you forgotten what Christ has done for you? Have you forgotten that Jesus bled? Have you forgotten that Jesus sacrificed all? Have you forgotten the pain and the suffering he went through? But even more than that, have you, have you forgotten that he actually absorbed all of God's wrath in our place? Peter says, because look, if, 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 if we're not living in a way, pursuing life, in a way that's consistent with what God has called us to. If we think we can be Christians and just kind of flipping about how we live, Peter says, well, you can't be living that way if you're remembering the cross. If you're thinking about the cross, if you're thinking about the gospel, actually meditating on scripture, understanding what God has done, man, we're not going to live that way. Peter says, have you forgotten? Christian, you've been made new. I mean, if you are in Christ, you've actually been made new. You've received a new heart. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. You're a new creation. You have a new identity. You are part of a new family. All of that is New Testament language describing who we are in Christ and what happens to us when we become Christians. And so Peter says this, live in line with who you are. Live in line with who you are. If we're Christians and we're living like the world, Peter says, there's an inconsistency here. I'm not just telling you to clean up your behavior so you can look better. I'm saying you're not living in line with your identity. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And in this way, there will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we seek to grow in godliness, 
as we seek as God's kids to grow in Christ likeness, here's what Peter says happens. Our calling and our election is confirmed and our citizenship in heaven for that matter is confirmed. Okay. Not earned confirmed. Peter's not saying do all these things and God will open the door as long as you do enough things. It's not what he's saying. He's saying you're calling what God has called you to your election, God's sovereign grace and choosing and saving you and your future citizenship in heaven, your current citizenship in heaven and your future residence in heaven. All of that is confirmed as we pursue godliness. See, we live in a culture where we're conditioned to think as long as I said a prayer, you know, as long as I said a prayer a long time ago, then I'm all good. I'm all good. That's all you got to do, right? You got to bow your head, say the sinner's prayer, and then you're all good. No matter what you do after that, it's like the magic ticket. I'm, I'm fine. I have all the fire insurance I need. I have a $10 billion policy and, and I'm good. I can do whatever I want now. I mean, that's how I lived for a long time. That's how a lot of people live. As long as I've said the prayer, I'm all good. My faith is personal, it's private, and for anyone to attack it, which is just another word for exhortation or rebuke, for anyone to do that, um, you know, you're not allowed to do that. And if you do, I'm going to freak out and not be your friend anymore because you can't do that. My faith is personal and private, and no one can get in the way. You know, I'm just doing my thing. That's kind of a big part of the Christian culture that surrounds us. And Peter says this, no, no. Peter says that's, that's cheap grace. The, the cross didn't cost a nickel. That's cheap grace. That's just looking at Jesus's cross and saying, okay, well, this is kind of just a license for me to do whatever I want. And as long as I said the prayer, I'm good. That, no, that's not how Christians think. That's not how Christians operate. That's not the heart that Christians have. If we have truly met Jesus, there will be results. There will be results. There will be change and transformation. There won't be perfection, but we'll be headed in a different direction. Okay, there won't be perfection, but we'll be headed in a different direction. And it'll be obvious, and it'll be clear, and we'll make mistakes. Peter says, if you, if you are growing in these things, you'll never fall. Some of you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe for you, Peter, but not for me. I'm going to have problems. Peter's not saying you're not going to have problems. You'll still stumble. You just won't fall. You understand the difference? John says in 1 John, he says, they went out from, they went out from us because they were never of us. That's what Peter means by fall. That's what Peter means by fall. You'll never fall away because as you pursue godliness, you're confirming what God is already doing in you. John the Baptist says it the best. As he looks at the Pharisees who think they're godly and they think they're holy and they think they're, they're good with God. And John the Baptist says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. He doesn't say bear fruit so that God will forgive you. He says bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit that demonstrates repentance. Bear fruit that actually shows and proves, man, I love God. I love God. I make mistakes. That's why I have to repent. But now I'm growing and I'm bearing fruit. A changed heart will produce certain results. Jesus says it this way. You can tell a tree by its fruit. You can tell a tree by its fruit. And a Christian tree will bear Christian fruit. 
for many of us, this is a reminder. These are basic reminders. But I think, again, if we're honest, these are certainly reminders that we all need. Peter reminds us in order to strengthen our godliness. He reminds us in order to strengthen our godliness. Number two, remembering strengthens our hope. Remembering strengthens our hope. Verse 11 and 12, In this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says, we have an eternal kingdom. I mean, the Lord Jesus, when he was leaving earth, he said, I'm going, I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing right now. He's preparing our heavenly home. He says, you'll be with me for eternity. You'll be with me in glory. I'm going to come back for you and rescue you. Peter says, I always intend to remind you of these qualities It strengthens our hope. It strengthens what we're looking forward to. Sometimes we can be so caught up in the present. What do I have to do today? What do I have to do tomorrow? What do I have to do next week? What's on the schedule? What's on the agenda? What bills have to be paid? What meetings have to take place? Who needs help? What help do I need? I mean, there's so many questions that we have and so many things on the agenda and so many things that are so urgent. And some of them are important. Some of them aren't. But they all seem really urgent. And Peter says, listen, I want to strengthen your future hope. This is what you have to look forward to. This is the salvation and the eternity that Jesus purchased and secured for you. Our citizenship, ultimately, as Christians, is in heaven. And one day, Jesus will return to bring us there. And as we seek to know Jesus and imitate Jesus, our hope in his future grace will be strengthened. Peter reminds us to strengthen our hope. Number three, and lastly, remembering strengthens our zeal. Remembering strengthens our zeal. Verse 13, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, to stir you up by way of reminder. There's our word. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Listen, Peter wants to strengthen our inward godliness, but also strengthen our outward zealousness. Peter wants to strengthen our inward godliness, but also our outward zealousness. We learn that here by word, by what he says first. He says, I'm seeking to stir you up. I'm seeking to get you going. I want to get the engine turned on. I want to get you moving. I want to get you excited. I want to get you thinking. I want to get you aware. Look around. Get the blood flowing. We learn it by his word. We also learn it by his example. We can see the apostle here in his heart. He's in his last days, church. He's in his last days. I mean, what would you do with your last days? What would you do if you knew the end was coming? Peter's not knocking items off a bucket list. He's trying to strengthen God's people. He says, as long as I'm here, I'm going to seek to stir you up so that you can remember You can remember what God has done and who you are in light of your relationship with God. I'm going to remind you of these things as long as I have breath in my lungs. 
Peter knows that life is fleeting and that his earthly body, his tent, is going to be folded up soon. He knows the days are evil. He knows the world is dark. He knows people are lost. And he knows Jesus are faithful, is faithful. And he knows that there's more work to be done. He knows there's more work to be done. And so in his last days, he expends all of his time, all of his effort, all of his energy, and all of his influence to build up others and to build God's kingdom. And friends, don't make no mistake, we have the same exact call today. We have the same exact call from God, you and I do, today. Do you, I'm going to give you some stats that I hope you, you really consider and kind of let sink in and maybe let grieve you a little bit. Do you know right now, in our current season, in the COVID season, according to Barna, they did a large survey, a few thousand people, and they're fairly accurate in their surveying as far as I've seen over the years. They did a large-scale survey and realized that 50, more than 50% of millennials during COVID have ceased going to church altogether. Not just are doing live stream, have, have, have ceased watching live stream and have ceased attending in-person church services. 50% plus of millennials. That same survey, it says 32% of all Christians they surveyed have stopped going to church altogether. We don't have to be a social scientist to realize that anxiety is on the rise, depression is on the rise, abuse is on the rise, financial concerns and difficulties are massive right now, loneliness is on the rise, and hopelessness seems to be reigning in many people's hearts and minds. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you're plugged in to our church. Maybe you're a visitor. You're plugged in somewhere somewhere else. Maybe you have really good community. Maybe you're like, I don't know what the big deal is. Not everyone's in your position. There's a, there's a lot of people who are not. There's a lot of people who are not. We need to try to put ourselves in, in, in their shoes and realize, man, they, look at what's happening in the world right now. And Peter here, in his epistle, is seeking to stir up and strengthen our zeal. Peter's seeking to strengthen our zeal and church. I pray that it would be strengthened because you know what? Now is the time. Now is the time. People need to be reached. People need the gospel. People need hope. People need Christ. We have a place to meet, a place to minister. We have robust community. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying we're one. We're one. And, and, and this is a good place for people to come and hear God's word and meet Christians and be encouraged and receive hope and receive the gospel and learn of Christ. People need to be loved, pursued, and brought into God's family. There's one thing I'll say. I'm really thankful for technology. I'm really thankful for the means and the, the outlets we have through technology to, to allow us to get the gospel out. We can have websites and tons of info on the website and emails and podcasts and vodcasts and all that stuff. We have social media. We can make posts and hopefully everyone will see it. But we want to see it. Hopefully that non-Christian that we've been kind of seeking to love and pursue that we've been thinking and praying for, hopefully they'll see it. Uh, look, I think that the tech stuff is great, but here's what I fear. I do fear that at times it kind of, we, we, we look at all that and it kind of takes the onus off of us. Well, I'll just put it, you know, I'll just hope they just, you know, 
find the website or I'll just do social media and the face-to-face stuff makes me really nervous. I'm really anxious to do that. Listen, a Google search, website, a podcast, SEO, all of those things are good, but they are not replacements for face-to-face warmth, face-to-face love, face-to-face care, face-to-face relationship. They just aren't. You and I, church, are entrusted with the gospel. We are ambassadors of God on earth. We are representatives of him and his kingdom. We are called to be salt and light. Salt kind of works its way into the systems and structures, becomes part of the world. Not the sinful structures of the world, but our life, stuff we do in the world. We're not isolationists. We don't create our own little Christian commune. We're part of the workplace and clubs and the grocery stores, the places that we go. That's the salt and light is the proclamation and, and, and the truth and, and, and the blazing difference between what a Christian life looks like and a non-Christian life looks like. We are entrusted with the gospel and we must be faithful stewards of the gospel. As we wrap up here, I have a quote for you from a man named Charles Studd. He was a missionary in China about 100 years ago. And he said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What's written on our bank statements when Jesus comes back or when our life ends will be forgotten. What's written on our diploma at the end of our life will be forgotten, ultimately. What's written in the sports records will be forgotten. What's written in the book of our earthly and temporal achievements will be forgotten, but what's written in God's book will be eternally remembered. Were we faithful gospel stewards? Were we faithful gospel gospel stewards with our money and our bank accounts? Were we faithful stewards of the gospel in the workplace? Were we faithful stewards of the gospel in the classroom? Hey, it's good to play sports. Were we faithful stewards of the gospel on the sports field? It's good to get educated. It's really good to go work and provide for your families. Are we being faithful stewards of the gospel in all of those arenas? That is what Peter is trying to stir us up to. The disciples we poured into, the treasure that we stored up, not so much on earth, but the treasure we store up in heaven, that is of eternal significance. And this is what matters most. That's what Peter says. Life's coming to an end, and I'm doing everything I can to stir you up. And he says, friends, church, I, here's what I want to do. I want to, I, I want to remind you of these things to such a degree that you'll always remember them. That's what he says, that you'll always remember them. Verse 12, I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Friend, we must be in the business of recalling, of remembering, of considering. Remembering strengthens our godliness. It strengthens our hope and it strengthens our zeal. Friends, I pray that this morning, I hope this morning that we'd take Peter's words to heart and that we would be encouraged and strengthened in all of those areas for the good of our neighbor 
the growth of our own soul and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Father God, we, uh, we, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you, God, for giving us all that we need for life and godliness. And we thank you, God, for your word that constantly reminds us of who you are. It reminds us of what you've done. It reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of our need for you. And it also, God, strengthens us. Your word strengthens our godliness. It strengthens our resolve. It strengthens our hope as we look forward to what you have for us. And it strengthens our zeal as we seek to love you and know you, pursue you, and pursue others with your word and with your name. I pray that you'd help us do that, Holy Spirit, in your good name. Amen.